It's an amazing time, the new year. It's like a new beginning for every single one of us. And I tell you, as a, as a pastor of this church and as a preacher, it's, a, it's an opportunity um, for us to reset the clock in a sense. I know in the, in the, um, with an eternal God, um, one year flows into the other and so on. But for us, I believe it is an important time. We've come through an incredible year in the life of the church, incredible growth, and seen God do some amazing things, but there's so much more for us, amen? Yeah. How many of you believe that? So this word here, it might, it's the, there's a lot of scripture I want to go through, and like I say, at the end we will, we will break bread and worship. But in praying for this new year for me, and I'm just going to try and stick to my notes here today, uh, there's so many things that we could share on, and I really wanted to hear God's heart for us over this time. And I felt many of us, oftentimes we speak of vision, we speak of the harvest, we speak for need, for laborers at this time, because these are desperate times, and we read in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, so what Jesus said, he went through the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And I was actually going to preach on that, but the other night, I think it was around about two o'clock, sometimes God wakes me up some weird night, and I felt, because this has been on my heart, I felt asking God this, and he asked me, he said, I want you to speak on the fruit of the Spirit today. And as I was thinking about this and wanting to make sure that this is uh, what God had for me, I found one of my, uh, my first Bible th- that I got when I was saved, many, many years ago. And it was given to me by a friend, Mike Moore in South Africa, who was also a home group leader. And um, I used it for a while and uh, then got an, a newer one. And I found this in my shelf. I was just going through my shelf, and I just opened it like this. And this is what the verse I read in Matthew 7, verse 20. By their fruit, you will know them. It was such a confirmation, because I just did this and opened it up, and that's where we got to. And so the question I wanted to ask... and. What do we as a community want to be known by? What are we known by? What am I in my personal life known by? And it automatically led me to that amazing passage in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read it, verse 13 to 26, where, where Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the acts of the sin nature and the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read it for you, uh, and then I'll just um, chat through it a little bit. Paul writes here from verse 13. Remember the context of all scriptures in the context of the, the entire book. 
but no, and especially in the context of that chapter. But um, for time, I'm going to pick up here. In the beginning of this, Paul has been speaking about the Mosaic law and uh, circumcision and so on. But in verse 13, he writes this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. A good word for that is the sin nature. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is amazing scripture. And often, this is often prevalent in the church. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you too will be destroyed by each other. We know the enemy's plan for the church is to rob it, to kill it and destroy it. And the way he does that through, is through division. And so he says, but the answer to that is this, walk by the um, Spirit and you will not gratify, uh, can you give me that water please? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh nature. For the, thank you. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you not so so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And this is what the acts of the flesh are for ones that are not led by the Spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. Some of those are pretty hectic. We say, may say that that's not us. But ambition and dissension and factions are something that we've also got to guard against in the body of Christ. And he says this, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of God. I'm so glad it doesn't finish there because he goes on to say this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying each other. Church, I just want to briefly focus on the acts of the flesh and what they actually do to us. What they do is extremely destructive because they distort the freedom we have in Christ. They prevent us from being led by the Spirit and create huge conflict within us. Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I do do, I don't want to do. And if not dealt with, they prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. But this is the good news. But those 
who are led by the Spirit are no longer under the law. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the law of Moses, the law of circumcision, the law of things that he's dealt with in Galatians. But they are under the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit, the greater law, is what Jesus spoke of in Matthew 22, 35 to 40. A Pharisee comes to him, an expert of the law, and he wants to test Jesus with this question. Isn't it interesting? How arrogant. He never recognized who Jesus was. But how often do we um, argue with God? And in a sense, without knowing this, this Pharisee was arguing with God. And he wanted to test him. And he said this, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like us, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Commandments, love the Lord and love each other. In John 14, 15, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. It's a very tender time, speaking about the Holy Spirit, speaking about what's going to happen. They're at the Last Supper. And one of the things in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. So I want to put it to this way. Fall in love with Jesus and you will obey him. Because people that love each other want the best for each other. Is that not so? And we see here that Jesus is saying this. And I heard it from Tyron first, but it's become something that has captivated my heart. It says, he says, obedience is the love language of God. You want to know what God and Jesus' love language is? Is obedience. If you love me, you will obey me. And when we are led by the Spirit and not by the flesh, we produce lasting fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. We read it, but I want to once again just remind you of them. It is love, joy, peace. How many of you want that manifest in your lives today? It is forbearance or gentleness. It is kindness. It is goodness. It is faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. I want you to, over the next week or so, focus on that chapter. Read about it. Pray about it for your life because I'm going to show you how we produce that fruit in our lives. But it takes time, and it takes time with God. Fruit cannot be manufactured. It's cultivated and produced. And fruit that is not connected to a tree or to a vine dries up and dies. It's a very, very good picture of our walk with God. You see, the first fruit that is mentioned is love, because that is the higher law. 
Because if we love Jesus, we will obey him. And the more we fall in love with him, the easier it becomes to obey him. We can't do that. And without the love of without God, and without the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts, the Bible actually tells us we have nothing. Now, this is a crazy new start work, but if we get this, I believe everything else that we want to expect from Jesus Christ and from, from God this year will fall into place because when our spirit is healthy, when our soul is healthy, everything else becomes healthy. It's an inward transformation. We are trying to transform people from the outside in, and God says, no, it's from the inside out. There's no other way. And these are pretty radical words Paul's speaking here because he's just spoken about the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians 12, and he's spoken about the function of the body. Both of those are extremely important. And then in, in, in Corinthians 14, he talks about the outworking of the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. But he says, lest we fall into the trap of works, he says, I want to remind you, and this is what he writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging symbol. That's a powerful statement. When we worship God, what does he hear? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and all the faith and have faith to move mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. And we've got to be careful when people speak into our lives, prophets or anybody who speak, if it is not done in love and humility, don't receive it. We must not worship the gift. The gifts of God are without repentance. When he gives you a gift, it's for us to use. But we can use our gifts without God and without love. A classic example, and I don't want to pick on musicians or preachers. Do you know that we, if we've done this long enough, can do this without the anointing and without love? Any one of these worship guys can get up here and lead us in worship. Without that in their hearts, preachers can preach, prophets can prophesy. Jesus said, beware of false Christs. We are, they will come to you in wolves and sheep's clothing, false prophets, but by their fruit you will know them. And when we're wowed by the gift, instead of discerning the heart of the person, that's when we fall. Amen? And he says this. I can give all I possess to the poor. Now, is that a good thing? Yes, if God tells you to do that. I can give my body over to hardship that I might boast. But if I do not have love, I gain nothing. And what the scripture is talking about here is not the love, brotherly love, filial love, erotic love, but the agape love of God. And the best definition I've heard of that, agape, that's the love of God. Go and Google it if you want to. Is this. 
It's a love that seeks the highest good of others. If we become a people, let's stop thinking about I, me, my, but we begin to seek the highest good of others. I tell you, we will not only change this church, we'll change the city and we'll change the world. Jesus said the defining factor of the church that he's coming back to, he said it in one sentence, is not that they had great worship, not that they had great prophets, great preaching, great teaching, and those are all good and necessary. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not by the stuff and the trappings, or even by the giftings, but that you have love for one another, that you seek the highest good of others above yourself. A love that, according to Romans 5.5, is poured into our hearts by his Spirit. And here's a key, Romans chapter 5, go and read this. It says, the love of God is poured into our hearts by Spirit. So what does that mean? God's love is not achieved. God's love is received. Salvation is not achieved. Salvation is received. We cannot save ourselves, but only God can. And when we humble ourselves and come to him and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what he wants. He wants to come daily to pour out his love into our hearts, but by his spirit. He doesn't want to be an afterthought. It should be the first thing that we get into, and the enemy is so good at distracting us. And if this is the only expression of worship and teaching we have in a week, we are anemic, anorexic Christians. Imagine if you only had one meal a week. Be pretty sad. And it's not God wants it a, a law, and if this comes over as a law, we have to do this, and we missed it. It's the law of love. Lord, I don't love. Lord, I don't even know if I love you. Come into my presence. Come spend time with me. Come kneel before my throne on your own. Put a worship CD on whatever you want to do and just receive. Turn your transmitter off. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, this, this, this. Bless everybody. Bless myself. Amen. And say, turn your transmitter on and tune it into the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you and fill you with love. We have to tune ourselves into the Holy Spirit. And we do that by being still and being quiet before God. In this room here, there are radio waves going backwards and forwards, television waves. And I'm sure one of you, some of you would like, will wish we were watching the world juniors on that screen. And you know, we could with just tuning a few little knobs on the transmitter. But we don't even know they're there. It's like the Holy Spirit is always there. It's always around us, always in us, always working in and through us. He loves us. And we need to tune into him. Be still and know that I am God. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 19. of a love that surpasses our natural knowledge and understanding, the agape of God. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you 
with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being how? Rooted and established in love. What keeps a tree firm in a storm? Good roots. And we're going to talk about storms and how God protects us by his love from Romans 8. But it's in those storms, and there are storms raging, and they're more than likely going to get worse, and they're more than likely going to get stronger because God is going to wind this whole thing up. But we, the church, are called to be victorious. We, the church, are called to be the answer. We, the church, are the ones that's supposed to be the God, here am I, send me. Not in fear or anxiety, but knowing the transcendent peace of God that is in our hearts. And he says, I pray that you be rooted and established in love. May have the power. What is that power? It's the power of revelation. Together with all the saints to grasp, to understand how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Father. His love is like an endless ocean. There's no shores to it. There's no width to it. There's no depth to it. It is like an ocean. Not like the little Pacific that we think's a big ocean and it is the biggest. But his love is like an eternal ocean that covers the whole universe. Jesus is the center of that, of our worship of God's love. And Colossians says, he, in, in him, in Jesus, all things are held together. If you're falling apart, if you're not held together, it's nobody else's fault. Jesus says, come to me. And I will hold you together, that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How full is that? What measures does God use? It's a love that will enable us, as we're filled with this love, to one love one another. You cannot love each other. You can't even love yourself outside of a revelation of Father love for you. Because a lot of not loving other people starts with you internally not loving yourself, not being secure. And I can say not you, me, all of us. That's where it starts. But when we're secure in that love, that begins to leak out of us and impact people around us. And this is what one, one John says, Apostle John in 1 John 4, 4 10 to 12. This is love. Not that we love God. We were enemies of God. But that he loved us. And because he loved us, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. In other words, to pay the price for our sins. Then he says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, the eternal love of God is for those in Christ Jesus and the ones in Christ Jesus can never ever be separated from it. 
We spoke this morning about God's will being done, um, uh, you know, in our lives. Uh, in the prayer meeting, it was wonderful. Russ brought that, your kingdom come, your will be done. About trials that we may go through and a number of other things about impact and all the different things. The prayer meeting is the engine room of this church. Quarter to nine of this meeting. I wish it was full, as full as it is now, but that's not to bring any judgment or condemnation. That's just a wish. Okay? But it says this, Paul. Paul went through so much, but he could write this because he understood the love of the Father. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'll give you an answer to that. We can. Nobody else. We can separate ourselves from the love of Christ. But these things will not separate us when we understand God's love. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's hard to comprehend in a first world Canadian context. But read that in the context of what is happening in the rest of the world. Christians being led as lamb to the slaughter as we speak and preach. Churches being bombed. And yet those people, if you've seen them, it's the most sad thing, but the most amazing thing. I, I watched a, a video and, and, uh, of these Christians being led before ISIS, and they were bound down, and all they had to do is deny Christ. They stuck their head down there, and all of them had their heads chopped off. Not one of them screamed, cried, or squirmed. There was a grace and a sense of the presence of God that they understood in that time. They understood the Scripture. And we better start understanding the Scriptures, church, because God prophesies. He will shake that everything that can, can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. If you ever knew Germany, what an amazing country a few years ago. Everything worked well. Everything was on time. It's amazing. Those German lives in three years have been rocked to the core. Now, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad, but if they're trusting in the system, they're in big trouble. And maybe God is bringing refugees to us to hear the gospel because we're not going to them. Just a thought. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. And I want to ask you today, if you're not convinced, go to God. Spend time so he can pour out his love so that you are convinced and I'm convinced because I don't even know how convinced I am. It's amazing when you, God gives you a word, it's for you first. And it says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let me tell you something. 
When you're going through trials and tribulations, maybe it's because you're doing what God wants you to do. We say, oh, God doesn't love me anymore because all the wheels are falling off. Maybe he's just wanting to get your attention. Maybe he just wants you to be convinced it doesn't matter. If you die, you just pass through a curtain, you come into my eternal glory where there's no tears, no none of the stuff that you've been dealing for ever and ever and ever because these light and momentary afflictions, Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory. That's why we need to fix our eyes on things above. That's why we need to have an eternal perspective because we are but a breath. Your life is a dash between a birthday and a dead date. Go and look at a tombstone. That little dash is that person's life. It's a breath. And when we give our lives to God and when we lay them down for, to him, for him, he gives us so much more. And he will convince us. We all know that we'll know the transcendent peace of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And when we mess up, we run to our Father. We confess our sin, and he sets us free. You see, the first three fruits, and I'm only maybe only going to get through some of them. I'll just get through those first three. Is love, joy, and peace. Those three go together. All of them go together because I tell you something surprising. There's not nine fruit. There's one fruit with, with nine expressions. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the most tasty fruit. You get all these flavors and all of these expressions of God all in one, one fruit. And that's what he wants to manifest and ask to cultivate love. And out of love, joy will flow. And out of joy, peace will flow. And out of that, everything else in the fruit of the Spirit will begin to flow into our lives. You see, joy and peace come from trusting Him as He strengthens us and He sustains us through trials. The Word of God says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's a peace only made possible through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection and us accepting him as our Lord and Savior. You will never find the peace of God outside of God because it's impossible. You will never find the love of God outside of God because it's impossible. But it's for all who believe, all who receive, you will find that we can live in that. And this is what Paul says in the book of Romans, and I'm doing a study on Romans. I'm just absolutely loving it. He says this about the peace that came through the cross. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, in other words, not through our own works, but through believing in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Jesus made peace on the cross. The word of God says the wrath of God was satisfied as Jesus, the Prince of Peace, laid down his life, took on our sin, and us that believe in him 
can enter into that peace and that rest. And it's for nobody else. It's amazing that the world, the way the world tries to find peace, peace, nations trying to find peace, how do they do that? By starting war. How ridiculous is that? Who thought up that idea? The enemy is from the pit of hell. There's only peace in Jesus Christ. And it's a transcendent peace. It's a peace that not only will guard our hearts, but also guard our minds in Christ Jesus. And it can be found nowhere else. And Christians, when you fall out of love with Jesus, your joy goes and your peace goes. Those are the first things. Then everything else is a bind. And I don't care what you do or where you look, whether you make a million bucks or win the lottery tomorrow, you will not find peace. In fact, don't tell anybody because your phone will ring off the hook. We're looking for the stuff in the wrong places. When there's a vacuum in our own heart, when there's a longing in our own heart that only the Holy Spirit can fill, it's a transcendent peace. We read that in Philippians 4, 67. There's a lot here. We video in this message because I wanted to go to the whole church. And if you want to listen to it again, God bless you. But he says this, Philippians 4, 60. Do not be anxious about anything. Can any one of us put our hands up and say there's not one thing that we're anxious about? One thing. But in everything, by prayer, this is it. This is how we, this fruit develops. By prayer, it's in here. By petition, with thanksgiving, we present our request to God. And then God promises the peace of God. And what is that? It's a transcendent peace. It's not subject to understanding. It's not subject to our circumstances. It's subject to nothing. We could be in the middle of a desert. We could be in the middle of the wall, and we could find the peace of God if we just sit back, got in the cleft of the rock, and spend time with him. And what it does, the peace of God, the two things, it guards our heart and our minds. Minds are going chaos, 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 but a heart is saying peace, peace, peace. Peace I give you, my peace. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. We be of good cheer, overcome the world. So in conclusion, how do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and how do we produce lasting fruit? Church, I believe this is a roadmap for us this year. God speaks in many ways, and He's speaking to you in different ways. But I believe, just open that, this, this amazing book, this amazing Word of God, with all these pages, and I wasn't looking for a scripture, I just wanted to see what was in it again. And it was by their fruit you will know them. How are we known? That's the question. And it says this in John 15, Jesus prepared us for the answer. Before Paul even wrote about the fruit of the Spirit, 
He says this, and please read the whole chapter, but I'm going to go to the first five verses. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, that sounds terrible, but if you know anything about vineyards, about fruit trees, how do you produce more fruit? By cutting off the dead limbs. Do you think that tree's enjoying it? If they could scream, I'm sure they would be screaming. Do you think that vine, but the winter, the, the gardener understands that that dead branch in our life is sucking life out of us. It's sucking life out of us. And so he cuts him off. While every branch that bears fruit He arranges so that it can be even more fruitful. Now he says to his children, you are already clean because of what I've spoken to you. Because of Jesus Christ. Then he says this, how do you bear bear fruit? Remain in me. It's not once a week, once a year, constant. Keep in step with the Spirit. In that same Galatians 5, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? We don't run ahead of Him. We don't lag behind. We just walk with Him daily. Abiding in Him. Abiding in the vine. Consulting Him all day on every decision. As you are driving, Lord, I've got this issue. Lord, I'm dealing with this thing. Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, things are falling apart from me. Abide in the vine. Abide in the vine, abide in the vine. Because this is the thing, you cannot produce lasting fruit unless you remain in Jesus. And a church cannot. Unless Jesus is the center of this church, and this Jesus is the center of our lives. And this is a call back. This is not a rebuke. This is like a new beginning for this year. And I want you to remember this message. Now, please, I'm not putting on it so you can see my, whatever, my face on there. I'm putting it on there so that as a reminder, as someone who cares for this church and cares for you, and he says this, But if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. By their fruit, you will know them. That jumped off, I mean. I love sleeping, but I know exactly the, the time God woke me up. Very early with that thing on the fruit. It was like, boom. And then I go and I open a Bible I've had for 35 years that I put on the shelf because of, not, not to read it, but because I've got a, a new Bible. I open it. Bam. God speaks to us. So if we can bow our heads and if the worship team can please come forward.
We're going to worship for a while. And I could ask for a response. Say, put up your hands. If but I feel God wants an internal response. This is a day of decision. God is not angry. God is yearning. God is longing. Jesus is yearning. God so loved. He said, I gave my only son for you. I can't give anything else. I've made a way. You did nothing to deserve this. I gave it to you as a free gift. But I gave it to you so that sin could be broken, so that relationship could be restored with me. That's why I did it. And if that relationship isn't strong, I don't care what you're going through. You might be going through an amazing time. Everything is lining up. Or you might be going through the valley of the shadow of death. Without that peace in your heart, you have nothing. Without love, we have nothing. Because it's empty, but in Christ. And I want this church to be known as a church who loves the Lord our God with all our heart, all our strength, and we love each other as ourselves, but we cannot do it without the love of God being poured into our hearts. We cannot do it without watering the plant. You can buy the most beautiful orchid today and stick it on your windowsill and look at it. But if it's not being watered, what's going to happen? It's going to die. And what are you going to do with it? It's going to do what the vintage did. You're going to chuck it away. And that's what happens to our spirits when we're not feeding it. We're not allowing God to rain down upon us. We're not allowing the, uh, the love of God to be poured in our hearts. We're not drinking from the stream of living water. We shrivel up. And then we start going through the motions. And I commend you for not giving up and still going through the motions. But n- stop. Stop. Me. Mike, slow down. Every week it's about preparing another preacher. I tell you, Sundays come quickly. This takes hours and hours, and it's a privilege, and I love it. But if it's all about a sermon, if it's all about for somebody else, if it's all about praying for everybody else, and it's not about my relationship with Jesus Christ, I have nothing. He's going to say, Mike, you did all of that stuff. Good thing I didn't ask you to surrender your bodies to the flame. But you did all of that stuff and it meant nothing because there's no relationship with me. You fell out of love with me and I've done it and I've got that t-shirt and I don't want it again. I don't want this church to be known for worship or preaching or whatever it is. I want it to be known for love. Love of God, love for each other. Where, where if we've got two coats, it's a privilege to give one away. Where we see the hungry, it's a privilege to feed them. Where we, when we look at the other best interest above ourselves, and I'm not there anymore. I want us to get back to that. And we'll change the city. And I pray nobody even knows who did it, except that Jesus Christ did so come to the water. Bible says, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you 
and he will cleanse you with the, with the water of the Spirit and the washing of the Word from all that unrighteous stuff. And he sets you free, sets you free today. And you bow our heads and have a not in condemnation. You might not have anything to confess, and that's wonderful. But if that relationship has gone dry, I ask Holy Spirit to come upon me and upon you just to begin to rain down upon us as we start this new year. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't even have any guarantee we'll be alive tomorrow. That's not fear-mongering, that's the truth. A life is written in a book. We don't know. We plan, but we don't know. But one thing we can assure is that when, and whatever gospel we, we can be known as David was, a man after God's own heart. A God of love, mercy, and grace. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your love. Pour out your love by your Spirit. Wash away. Ezekiel prophesies that God will sprinkle clean water on us. Holy Spirit, begin to sprinkle that water right now. And he says, and you will be clean. And then he says, I will put my spirit in you. And that will move you to follow my decrees. And the most amazing thing he says, as the spirit comes, he says, I'll take from you a heart of stone. A stony heart. And replace it with a heart of flesh. Our hearts get hard because we're let down by people. We let each other down. We let ourselves down. Our hearts get hard because of words spoken. Our hearts get hard for so many things. And if we don't deal with them on a daily basis, it's like a, a rock, a pebble being chucked into a well. The first pebble, the well doesn't know it. The second pebble, no difference. The thousandth pebble, I don't know. No water. And then we're asking, what happened? It's one little pebble at a time. It's not always a big event. And God wants to remove those stones, those hearts of stone. He wants to commend you for staying the course and hanging in. But He didn't call you to have a hanging in life. He didn't call me to hang in. He called me to have an abundant life. That no matter what my circumstances, I'm safe and secure in knowing the love of my Father. So come, Holy Spirit, come.